It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 66 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Today we have with us a special guest, Adam Liebrich Johnson, who's all about pirates. Well, maybe not all about pirates. But he definitely has his cutlass on pirate culture. Welcome, Adam. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hi there, mateys. Excellent. And how be ye this fine, fine evening? (laughs) (laughs) We're doing good, but apparently we were not prepared to have a real pirate on our show. (laughs) But I'm not actually a pirate in real life. (laughs) Oh, wait. Don't burst everybody's bubble, though. I just play one on the weekends. (laughs) I've already made an intro that we took you away, or at least a plug on an earlier episode, that we took you away from pillaging and plundering, so people have it in their minds that you are out there on a daily basis just taking (laughs) gold. Well, I'm a bit cleaner than that would entail. (laughs) (laughs) That's always good to hear. So it's like you're a new wave pirate, if you will. Yes, pirates that bathe. It's a new (laughs) wave. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have to get that domain. Because I think that's going to be our next podcast, PiratesThatBathe.com. Now, what's this I hear about the Royal French Privateers? Well, the Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail, we're a, uh, a historical reenactment group. We portray a, uh, a French privateer flotilla at the very beginning of the Golden Age of Piracy in the late uh, 17th century. So a little uh, earlier than the Pirates of the Caribbean take place. Um, the, the main ship is the La Via Broca, a captured Portuguese warship. And it's, uh, we're under the command of, uh, the Marquis de Gascony, Richard, who is, uh, a newly created, uh, nobility by the French King Louis XIV. And, uh, we, uh, give part of our plunder the, to the king, but mostly we're in it for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a true pirate. Yes. We're pirates who pretend to be privateers. Uh, I myself, uh, I portray the bosun of the ship, uh, Richard Sweetcock, but you can call me Dick. <laughs> Walk the plank. And uh, I'm an English sailor aboard a French privateer ship with all the uh, confusion that that would entail. Wow, that's one hell of a backstory, and I'm not sure what to even say. You're the real example of what we've talked about on the show with actors creating backstories. So what do you guys and gals do when you're out? I mean, how does this actually work, this whole... Well, our main theatrical gigs are usually uh, Renaissance fairs, pirate fairs. Um, we occasionally do tall ship festivals, anything that uh, that is uh, maritime or period in nature. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, that's uh, that's our main events. And then we also do uh, anything from kids' birthday parties all the way up to bachelor parties, anything rated G to R. Nice. <laughs> we sing songs. We do black powder demonstrations. Uh, we... Uh, Portray uh, period arts and crafts and music and all that kind of stuff. 
How did the Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail get started? Is this something you founded, or has it been around uh, for a while? Our commandant, uh, our commandant uh, Richard Rasner, he uh, he founded the group. Uh, gosh, I guess it's uh, eighteen years ago now. No kidding. Eighteen or nineteen years ago, it started as a uh, a group within the Society for Creative Anachronism, <laughs> which is a uh, an enthusiast group of people of reenactors that uh, just do private events for themselves, and he decided to take it more theatrical so he took uh he made us more piratey he took us out of the sca and into uh doing uh, public fairs and uh, events and you know our main event of the year is the high desert pirate fair uh up in uh, the high desert of california near victorville and he's uh, part owner of that fair and, and uh, that's that's the probably our biggest event of the year wow 18 years that's definitely got to be a record from what i've read about regarding the history of pirates or seen on Dare I say TV shows? Pirates didn't often last too long. <laughs> it, it, yeah, we've lasted longer than real pirates, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Now that everyone is excited and curious to take pirates from the big screen to pseudo real life, can you tell us how people can get in touch with you or the group so they can check you out or engage your privateer services? Very easy to find. Uh, ClanDarkSail.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch via email, it is info at ClanDarkSail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and Instagram, generally as Clan Dark Sale. Uh, search Facebook for the Royal French Privateers of Clan Dark Sale, or RFP Clan Dark Sale, and uh, you'll find us pretty easily. It's just got to be fun to be part of a group like this. It is a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> I got to imagine is also a lot of hard work. Plus, creating an elaborate backstory that weaves in historical elements, that, I mean, it's really incredible what you're doing. Oh yeah, we when you know most of the public never hears the the entire backstory, but it helps inform our characters and uh, how we portray them and that stuff. You know, for example, I'm English aboard a French ship. I have a whole different set of nautical dialogue than most of the crew. I constantly call our commandant Commodore, which is the English term, and he gets very upset at me for that. Monsieur <laughs> <laughs> Sweetcock, I am French. Call me commandant. I say, all right, Commodore, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> Are your events mostly in Southern California, or do you venture out or travel? Uh, most of our events, most of our events in Southern California. Uh -huh. We do uh, generally two fairs in Arizona, but still pretty close to California. I see. Yeah, and uh, we do the uh, Las Vegas Age of Chivalry Renaissance Fair in October. Man, your weekends must be completely booked. We're actually looking to go to a pirate festival that comes near us, and that shows up in Vallejo every year. And we're doing that. That's actually California, everyone. And we're looking to do that, hopefully, to get some. Well kind of this pirate on the street interview and things like that, especially since the new movie is coming out this year. It's going to be really cool to get feedback from people who enjoy the pirate culture and just even fans of pirates and swashbuckler films. This would really be our first pirate festival or strictly pirate festival as we have been to some Renaissance fairs, but we've never been to a pirate fair. Now that I hear about the ones you are a part of and attending, I'm thinking we actually might have to make an official Pirates of the Caribbean Minute trip your way and just check out your group. And it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun. Definitely do that. Uh, it, is a, it is a lot of fun. It's a great group of people. Uh, I consider them family more than anything else. Here's the big question, though. Would your group be able to do me a favor and gibbet Heather for me? <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Uh, unfortunately, our gibbet is plastic, and it doesn't support the weight of a human being. Man, you're breaking my heart here. It looks really good, though. <laughs> well, as long as maybe I can get a photo of her in one, or perhaps I'll just have to Photoshop her in one so that I can share it with the audience. 
The reason is because I get all this fan mail of people really just wanting to see Heather in a gibbet. Fan mail? You keep mentioning fan mail. I haven't seen any of this stuff. Yeah, you know, I actually pretty much just send it to myself. I'm the one who's sending myself all these emails about this kind of stuff. Do uh, pedantic <laughs> corrections on your Facebook page count as fan mail? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sickness. It's like, oh, yeah, I really want to see Heather gibbeted, so I go ahead and send myself an email and then pretend. It's, it's this weird psychological thing. <laughs> now that we're talking gibbeting pirates and, of course, Heather, let's get into the Curse of the Black Pearl a bit. Do you remember your first time seeing the Curse of the Black Pearl? Well, uh, I have been a huge Pirates of the Caribbean fan since I was a child. My, my parents would take me to Disneyland when I was a kid, and uh, Pirates was always the first ride we had to go on, followed by the Haunted Mansion. And uh, it sort of awakened in me a lifelong love of pirate lore and pirate movies. And uh, so, you know, I watched the the classics like Treasure Island and Captain Blood and all those great movies. And uh, when the announcement came out about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, it was also announced around the same time as the Haunted Mansion movie. And so I saw the Haunted Mansion movie and I was a little uh, disappointed by that. So I wasn't (laughs) sure what to expect with uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But I do believe I saw it opening weekend and I was floored. Uh, excellent. I thought yeah. it was, um, I, I, I was, it, it was completely with the spirit of the ride, the humor and the, the look of it seemed screamed, you know, Disney magic and, you know, Johnny Depp's performance just completely blew me away. I, I was hooked from the, uh, from the very first from minutes the of the movie. Yeah. Were, were you expecting actually more of a, like a traditional swashbuckler then, or were you kind of going in knowing that there's going to be maybe that supernatural element to it? Well, they'd shown the skeletons and things yeah. in the trailer, so I, w- I knew it was going to be supernatural. I don't think you could do Pirates of the Caribbean uh, based on the ride without incorporating the supernatural. Yeah, I since agree. The, since you get the supernatural vibe from the very first minutes of the ride when you go down the waterfall, and you're in the, you know, you're in the grotto, you hear this disembodied voice saying, You've seen the cursed treasure. Of course, that's not there anymore, but, you know. Well, your love for the ride, too. I guess we can maybe even talk about that now, since you got into that. Is Yeah, what what are your thoughts on the ride, then? Was it the ride that was your first love and then going into the movie? Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like I said, when, when I went to Disneyland as a child, it was always the first thing we had to go on. Yeah, see, I've always been a great fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, and one of the reasons why we're doing the show is that the ride really offered this kind of insight into a whole new world, and you could actually just go in there and see it, and as a kid, it was always mesmerizing to see that, and just to have gunfire kind of going over your head as a kid, it just is is something that's really magical about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when you when you come out of the grotto into the... Uh the harbor of the, the the Spanish village there and you see this larger than life pirate ship sitting off to your left and the fort on the right and you hear the cannonballs going over your head. It's it. You know, it was like, I, when I was a kid, I thought they were real cannonballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the thing about the Imagineers who did that, that they could actually they just came up with something to make you feel like you were actually seeing this battle happen. And I was always amazed myself just to see the splashes of water. When the oh, yeah, cannons no. were going oh, yeah. off, that was just the big thing as a kid to see that kind of stuff. It's like today, maybe even in like video games, now they've got to a point when you're doing first person shooter games where actually it does damage to walls or to buildings and things like that. But so as a kid in video games and stuff, we didn't have that kind of stuff where, you know, you could shoot a wall, it didn't damage it. The same thing with rides, you know, that they would shoot stuff and you didn't see any damage really. But Pirates of the Caribbean, 
it had that because you could see water just coming up and, and things like that. And that's what made it fun. And the smoke coming out of the guns and, well, and, the, and you know, the way oh, they, man. the way they built the set with, you know, it looks like the battle's been going on for a while. You know, they've got the, uh, that's right. You know, they get the mizzen mast is, is, uh, is sheared through and down and there's holes in the canvas. There's big holes in the walls of the fort. You know, the recent effect they added up on the, uh, on the left side of the, of the Harbor up on that fort is they've got, you know, a shadow box play of, you know, two people fighting hand to hand. You get the impression the battle's been going on for a while. It's a really well-made scene. Yeah, they seem to be doing some updates every now and then, actually. Every time we seem to go back, which it's actually been a few years since we've seen it now. And I think the last time we saw it was just watching the full ride on YouTube. And I don't remember what the date was for that. But there's always something new that comes into that. It's always fun just to see what they've added to it and how they're making it better. And there's even some rides out in some of the other parks that are really elaborate now, at least taking kind of the whole digital era and, and putting that into an attraction. It's pretty amazing what they're oh, doing. The uh, the Shanghai Pirates of the Caribbean. That's is, right. Yeah, the Shanghai uh, one. Is remarkable. Yeah, and I don't know. I definitely like it and would like to see it, but I, I think that my childhood, I still have like that connection to the original ride and and seeing the characters and in that yeah. kind of animatronics there i don't know if i've ever want them to change that out in favor of replacing it with something like is in shanghai uh, no and I, I don't think they will and what i like about the shanghai experience is that it's a it's a combination of modern digital effects and animatronics and real sets and screens and they sort of meld it all into one cohesive whole yeah, I think that's important, though. I think that's part of that nostalgia that you want to be able to keep. Yeah, you, And you need something tangible there to connect it to the real world. That's right. That's It's exactly right. Speaking of the real world here, and it's all about the real world here when we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> and skeletons, obviously. Yes. And I don't know if you've heard one of the recent episodes, but I just had to ask you this because we were talking about the skeleton crew reveal when Elizabeth stumbles onto the deck of the Black Pearl. Oh, and yes. And it's reminiscent of kind of, a, at least I thought, maybe a musical number. And we were a bit torn on the show discussing if the tone was right for the movie. So I was curious about your take on it. As a pirate, do you think it fits the movie or does it fit the tone with Disney? And that's kind of where we started to roll, maybe from Disney to the movie and that kind of stuff. So I was just curious on your take of that. Well, it's kind of interesting because when she's grabbed by the... Uh the pirate on the on the rope and she's swinging across the uh, across the deck and yeah. uh, you get the shot of you know there's somebody playing that looks like an accordion or a concertina or something like that and there's uh mm-hmm. it, it it definitely is hectic and frantic and it seems a little cartoony i, I think yeah. that's i think that's mostly just because of the available animation technology at the time mm-hmm. yeah maybe that's what it is i think it's not meant to be cartoony or funny i think it's meant to be unsettling but it just comes off as a little cartoony i think that might be technological limitations of the time it's possible yeah because we were really trying to wrestle with it and you know trying to to dig into it and so we kind of just i think maybe kind of split on that so that's why i thought we really need a real pirate here to to shed some light on this and so now we can just call that gold you're the gold standard now my question is why is the ship so busy after dark (laughs) yeah that's because usually usually at night you'd set a night watch and then have somebody watching to make sure that you didn't need to make any course corrections or adjust the sails or anything you'd usually sail slower at night so you didn't get too far off course that's a good question we should have been asking that see this is why we need to have a pirate here we need like almost like the red phone pirate hotline 
Yeah, we have to almost do like a live show. It's like, man, we got to do a live show every day now. Just to, to have you be able to I'm call in. I'm a sailor. I just play one. <laughs> oh, they don't know. They don't know. You got to sell it. <laughs> now, if you wanted a real sailor, you got to get uh, Richard on, the, the founder of Dark Sail, because he is an actual sailor. Yeah, that's definitely a connection that you pass along, and uh, we're going to take advantage of that because that sounds like a will be a fun time as well and probably informative. Yeah. We'll probably go, oh, man, we were so wrong on so many things. <laughs> <laughs> like you look uh, like I don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we probably get into the minute here, actually? Yeah. Okay, let's go. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow is battling the weather with compass in hand and on the verge of catching up to the Black Pearl. And speaking of the Black Pearl, through the magic of movie editing, we find ourselves observing the mysterious ship and its unnatural fog friend in the midst of Isla de Muerta. Captain Barbosa, with the help of his loyal minions, initiate their version of Break the Aztec Curse Ceremony by clasping the medallion around Elizabeth's neck and taking the longboats to the island. Minute 66 begins with a bird's eye view of Isla de Muerta, which transitions to the HMS Interceptor slowly making its way through the mired and fog shipwreck K. The minute ends with Joshimi Gibbs telling Will Turner, That was before I met him, back when he was captain of the Black Pearl. Will exclaims, What? as Gibbs' eyes grow wide as he takes a swig from his flask. So that's the minute. No dot dot dots or nothing. Just ends on kind of a what. Makes me wonder if uh, Will is related to Darth Vader. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> oh man. So I don't know. I mean, we can just kind of jump into things, but the big takeaway from me in this particular minute is Gibbs dropping the bomb to Will that Jack was once the captain of the Black Pearl. Yeah, that was kind of my big overarching thing. I get the feeling that uh, after he said it, Will acted surprised that uh, Gibbs felt like he shouldn't have said that. It reminded me a little bit of Hagrid from Harry Potter. <laughs> wow that is a great reference it is yes check out our friends at harrypotterminute.com <laughs> his, his wide eye and immediately taking the swig from yep. the flask as if to cover it up saying oh maybe i shouldn't have said that after all <laughs> yeah that is a yeah that really is a haggard moment there yes yeah because that was the thing i mean is this just another piece of like info for will to distrust jack too or really is it that pirates in general that he's going to distrust even more or is will doubting jack's true intentions of this mission now is that what the whole gist of that was yeah i feel like it's will uh learning that maybe he shouldn't trust uh, jack so much if jack is uh jack isn't is definitely not telling him the whole truth and i think will's starting to realize that that's what i was getting out of that too it's like this is a big important piece of the puzzle that probably i should have known yeah and yeah, now a, he's thinking it doesn't feel right. like Jack is lying to Will, but it definitely feels like he's withholding. Yeah, it's one of those that somebody would say you're kind of lying by withholding or not giving the full details of the, the scenario here. Exactly. I mean, because Jack traded his freedom to take Will to Elizabeth, but now it's like, yeah, he is preparing, I think, maybe for that double cross to happen. Will is starting to, to piece that together. Like, I don't know if I should really trust, it? trust this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because he already knows that Jack plays by the pirate rules, and it's not fairly or honorably either. So, is that, so I take it that you guys also play by the pirate rules as well, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're privateers. We give to the king what we're owed, but we don't always report everything that we take to the king. That's right. So it's, it's always shy of what it was supposed to be, right? <laughs> exactly. You have an inkling of that way back in the uh, Faithful Bride Tavern with the toast that Jack and Gibbs do. 
Take what you can, give nothing back. That's right, yeah. actually. That's a very and, you know, serving toast. Yeah, and I think we were talking about a little bit about that as well, because that was kind of the motto of what they, really, pirates in general, it just seems like, or at least our version of stereotypical pirates. But Will just even seemed a little bit unsure of himself while he was there. We were talking about, was he really looking back at them? Because did he hear his name? Or did he just not trust what was going on? But that whole scene, you know, Will was really giving them the eye, or at least kind of turning back as in, I should probably keep my eye on these yeah. guys. And how come I'm not at the table with them? Yeah. What's well, going on? Also, in a completely alien situation to him. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Unlike, Very true. Unlike Heather, who's a real regular there at the Faithful Bride Tavern, <laughs> you know, she I'm walks sure, in, sure. it's like, cheers, you know, they go, Norm, but they go, Heather. <laughs> Because I'm sure the uh, the tavern in Port Royal is not nearly as raucous as that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're also at this stage here where Will asks how Jack came across the compass. And then Gibbs essentially sidesteps that question, too. And he just addresses it as if it was maybe a general question from Will or about it. And so I, that was the other thing. I mean, does this mean that Gibbs doesn't know much about the compass? Or is this where he's starting to realize, like, hey, I just screwed up before. Now I'm going to keep this information to myself here. Well, I feel like Gibbs was uh, Jack's first mate in, for a while. And I'm sure he was, he, if he wasn't with Jack when he got the compass, I'm sure he knew Jack when he had the compass. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, yeah, it just seems that. And I'm sure, I'm sure Jack has used the compass to find prizes for them before. That's the mm, thing that, yeah. yeah, and I haven't really gotten into the expanded universe very much to see, you know, how much he has used the compass. But we do know that it was at least owned at one point by this other lady pirate, Laura. I think it was Laura Smith or so, who actually had the compass beforehand. And Jack was a crew person on that particular ship. So, I mean, he's aware of the compass, and I'm sure that it's been used to find other stuff. And I got to imagine with the relationship that Gibbs and jack have that he has to know about the compass or yeah. at least what's going on with that well it wouldn't be very nice if you will if you're all on the board and you have a you know instead of looking for treasure if you could just actually find it if you had that compass in your hand <laughs> it's gonna tell you where to go i mean you'd want that to be able to use that yeah that'd be awesome exactly yeah i know i want a compass like that <laughs> me too <laughs> exactly <laughs> and we all know where it would lead heather to the faithful bride tavern oh, my goodness <laughs> I have a couple of location notes, and it's not really any behind-the-scenes things right now, but since we're really on kind of these pins and needles waiting to venture into the caves of Isla de Muerta, mm -hmm. as Heather mentioned yesterday, our island, it's the Island of Death, and in the first screenplay draft, its history was expanded by including the description, a ship carrying Cortez's treasure ran aground on the island, all but one of its crew dead. The survivor hid the treasure ashore before dying. Over time, the dark magic of the treasure cursed the island itself. And so, because we were talking about yesterday, actually a conversation around the curse, whether it's on the ship. Yes. Or it's actually just on the pirates themselves and about the island. And right. I know that you had talked about the curse being part of the island and it had kind of absorbed onto the island itself, right? Or there's a treasure there. Yes. And... Then we were really speculating that it's, although there's been some stuff with the writers and they came out and said that the curse really wasn't on the ship, but the production assistants and the production crew actually kind of made it a little bit more going towards that direction 
that the ship actually had part of the curse. But we just speculated that really it was just a crew and this unnatural fog that seems to follow the Black Pearl is actually just them. And because they're on the Black Pearl, it just this fog is just always around because the crew is there. That's the impression I got. I felt like the, the curse has sort of an area of effect. That's exactly it. And I think that's a great way to put it. And and it's 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 you know, it, it, it affects the crew and anything within a certain radius of them. That's why the you know, the, the pearl looks uh when it's being sailed by the cursed crew. I mean the, the, the sails are tattered, the wood's rotting. It it really looks like a mess, and there's there's no yeah. way you could sail with uh, with your canvas looking like that way. Yeah, that's definitely quickly in Yeah. The uh, the writers were definitely talking about that, and they said that the that was you know something that was put in by the production crews. They kind of got more and more overboard, so to speak, and until it really got to this tattered look, and that wasn't really necessarily the intention that they had in the beginning. But it, that's why it started making it the appearance of kind of this ghost ship, or the people were calling it a ghost ship because it was able to do these feats. Well, and it certainly helped spread the uh, the legend of the Black Pearl among the uh, the colonies in the Caribbean. Yeah, and so that's the thing, is why does Jack want this ship back then if it is tattered sails and rotting? I mean, they need to make some improvements on that. I mean, these guys should <laughs> take some of that gold and go to and go to port and say, you know what, we have all this gold that we can't spend or we're waiting to spend until the curse is gone. Let's get some new sails. Let's have some, you know, let's get the wood. <laughs> you know, let's try and get some dry rot or something on this thing to get rid of this stuff. I mean, we got to fix this thing. Or you just spray it with some curse be gone and then you're fine. <laughs> there you That's go. Right. <laughs> I mean, you guys obviously don't let your ship fall into repair like this. No, we have a carpenter to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Does your so carpenter that the- do surgery? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> Do well, you guys have, have a surgeon in your, on your crew? We have a ship surgeon. We have a surgeon. Oh, the, okay. The carpenter, the carpenter is standing by to assist the surgeon because the carpenter is the one who who's, has the best hands with the saw. Wow. See, there you go. You were <laughs> correct, Heather. Yeah, I just thought, man, that's just not a good thing if you're coming on board as the carpenter, knowing that you're potentially going to be sawing limbs as well. That's yeah. not something I'd want to be signing up for. The other location that we have here is Shipwreck K, and this is off the coast of Isla de Muerta. Mm-hmm. And through thick fog, visitors could make out the shapes of half-sunken ships, worn masts rotted in the air. Not the Black Pearl's rotting mast, but other <laughs> ones that are actually sunk. And the only sign of vessels that lay below the waves, you know, are some of these things that are popping up that we find. And elsewhere, upside-down holes could be seen, holes worn away in the wood. And it's really this graveyard of lost ships in which many sailors have died upon sailing through this passage here. The, and then we also have... Oh, go ahead. The question is... Um, the island can't be found except by those who know where it is. So did all the people that died sailing in there know where the island was? That is one heck of a spectacular question. Or should I say one <laughs> yes. hell of a spectacular question. There are a lot of wrecked <laughs> ships there. And, you know, you see that, that amazing underwater shot of the Interceptor was it, as it clips the top of the mast of the sunken ship. You have the, you know, the school of hammerhead sharks swimming around. Yeah, that is a great shot kind of derailing from that and we can come back but i'm just really impressed since you brought up the underwater shots i just love all the underwater shots that are yeah. in this oh, yeah. movie it's, and it, it's a great way to hide uh, imperfections in cgi <laughs> <laughs> oh man is that why they did it dang it i thought they were just getting really fancy with the camera work it was just yeah you know, i just really love it it's just i think it just makes it and then the sea the sharks swimming around all these kind of sunken ships and plus it's always been a cool thing when you well 
if I go snorkeling or scuba diving, which I've never been scuba diving, that's the thing that I'd want to check out is to look for a treasure. I mean, even if you're out at the beach, people look for a treasure. If I'm snorkeling, I look for things in the, the sand or that maybe people have dropped. I mean, this is just a snorkeler's scuba diving haven. Yeah, but they're sharks. Yeah, but only if you know how to find it. That's yeah. true. I don't have the compass. That's true. <laughs> you know, so all these sailors that have wrecked here, are those, was that Cortez's fleet? Was that, uh, you know, Gibbs says it, it puts a chill in the bones. How many honest sailors? How does he know they were honest sailors? Yeah, that's a good question because, well, I mean, would honest sailors have a Grim Reaper figurehead? Because I did notice there was a Grim Reaper figurehead. So is that something, I mean, what did the figureheads, I don't know how much you know about figureheads. Would that determine kind of what your ship was about then, if you had a Grim Reaper as a figurehead on that? No, probably not. Figureheads ah. were uh, generally used as wards and good luck symbols. So if a Grim Reaper figurehead might have been to ward off death. Which, it didn't, didn't work help. in this particular situation <laughs> then, if that was sunk there. Yeah, but that is a good question. Did they just happen to stumble by this? Yeah, I don't know, actually. Or, or did they? Yeah. were the ships already abandoned and did they, did they just drift into the key? Yeah. So one one thing I, I really know. love from a little earlier in the minute is the it, it's it's like a helicopter shot of the island that's going up and you get the oh yeah the impression that I got when I saw that was the island was almost in a skull and crossbones shape itself which is which is a little on the nose but it's still really cool yeah yeah <laughs> it, yeah it was kind of like a skull island King Kong kind of thing going exactly. on there this is really the first time that I ever noticed that. And actually, I think Heather had mentioned it, probably something that she saw. So it's not yeah, something I that I really noticed before. Because it, we, and we ended up just looking at it even today. And you can, and you do see that it is kind of that skull, and, and you don't necessarily see maybe the bottom jaw yet. It is a, a neat skull. Yeah. In the middle of it, too. Yeah. We were wondering <laughs> if that, if that is a skull, is that like the bullet hole then? Is that, is that what that's or supposed to be? Or just a huge be? pimple. <laughs> So actually, I did hear Gore Verbinski talking about the Shipwreck K. There was actually a combination of multiple shots from models that they actually used one of their kind of replica model miniature ships to do some of the sailing through that at first. But then the underwater shot itself, they used stock hammerhead shark footage, and then they used some CGI and kind of melted all these or mashed all these together to create all these layers. Well, that's interesting because I thought the sharks were CG. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I thought too. And that's why I was surprised when he mentioned that. So I was wondering actually if they didn't necessarily overlay all that, but then used it as a reference or did like matchimation and and created those sharks. Because I, I did think that they were animated as well or CGI sharks that well, were they, placed they kind in of there. just manipulated the existing footage. Yeah. Speaking of some like these visual effects... Talking about that earlier, but do you think that those CGI skeleton work that they've done holds up? Or just even in general in this movie, the CGI here, do you think it really holds up? I think in general, a lot of it holds up. Uh, The most egregious example of something not holding up is, unfortunately, the the big reveal on the Black Pearl after the the dinner with Barbosa. Yeah. Mm. But one effect I really like that still looks really is Barbosa himself still looks really good to me. Yeah, I thought it when looked pretty pulls, good. When he pulls the cork out of the flask and spits it out and, and uh-huh. laughs, and it, just, it looks great, except for the liquid coming out of the jug. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. But aside from that, I think it looks amazing. Yeah, it re- they really actually did a pretty good job of doing that. And I think what 
happens is over time, especially I think we've talked about it here on the show in previous things, is when you start looking at it on Blu-ray or on 4K televisions and stuff like that that has much more high definition or just even in general TVs now that have much more high definition, you can see more of that coming out and doesn't quite hold up. As opposed if you look at it, you know, in something a lower resolution, it actually can look a little better (laughs) sometimes. You don't get all the... just doesn't draw your eye out as much. Yeah. We also have... A catchphrase and a Pirates of the Caribbean ride alert here, too. And Cotton's pirate Parrot. really is good. Or <laughs> pirate, yeah. Ah! <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Cotton walks around with a small pirate on his shoulder. <laughs> it's a really neat special effect that they did here. It's like a meshing of right, what? He just uh, carries Marty around on his shoulder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> See, we learn something new every day. That's something I missed during the minute, and I didn't see that. But that's that's why we that's why we have guests on that are pirates, so they can tell us about this stuff. <laughs> but he actually, so Marty, our parrot, then is actually good enough to drop a catchphrase and the Pirates of the Caribbean ride reference in this minute. Dead men tell no tales. And from what I heard with Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott, they were saying that originally they weren't necessarily going to actually have a parrot in the movie, but. Cotton's macaw ended up in the film as a means to add some of these ride references, and one of those being that iconic Dead Men Tell No Tales. So I guess they were maybe trying to find a way to be able to insert that into the film without having to try and create a bunch of dialogue for somebody well, plus or one the, of the uh, other pirates. The mute pirate teaching a parrot to talk is a great gag. Yeah, yes. that, actually, that is something we didn't even talk about, which we should have. That is a... I, actually, I just really like that whole doc scene. Because there is a lot of like this comedy or non, well, it goes from kind of actual comedy with words and stuff and then nonverbal comedy just in with people's actions and and movements and things like that. I really just like that whole scene. See, we needed to have you on the other day for that too. (laughs) It always amazes me when I look at the the movie and how intertwined all these things are that come out in a finished script. It just really blows me away that, you know, that they think about all these little things. Because I think about sitting down and writing a script. If I was to do that, you know, would I be able to, you know, weave in all these things and then be able to circle back? And I mean, how many notes and post-it notes would I have to have everywhere (laughs) to remind myself to come back and weave some of these things? And it's always just crazy amazing to me. Yeah. Well, the uh, the writer's room of a feature film is a very hectic and uh, sleepless place. That's what I've heard, but I actually haven't ever been in a writer's room. Have you ever, have you actually done that? I have not, but uh, when I was a child, my dad was the producer on a television show, and I'd been in the writer's room for that a few times, and it's... uh, Wow. It's a scary place. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little scary. (laughs) Well, especially being under deadlines and things, I think that that could really make things, uh, yeah, definitely a bit, bit hectic, as you said. And actually, maybe you might know about this, but the signature Dead Men Tell No Tales, that warning which first appeared in Walt Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, which like was from that ghost voice. It was provided by legendary actor Paul Frees. Mm-hmm. And in the film series, Cotton's Parrot said the phrase in the first film, The Curse of Black Pearl, while the clip with Paul Frees actually, they used his voice in the third film at World's End. But I, didn't re- I really kind of dropped the ball on the research be- on that phrase beyond Disneyland and pop culture. So... Does Dead Men Tell No Tales, was that really like a common pirate phrase? And for those out there, I mean, if people don't know, it's meaning once someone is dead, they can no longer communicate. And so obviously killing someone is the best way to keep them quiet. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it's like a standard excuse for leaving no survivors or did pirates really use that? 
I honestly have no idea. It is a great turn of phrase, though. Uh, it puts me in mind of a, of a Ben Franklin quote, too. Three men can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time. Well, we got three people here. I'm sorry, Heather. You're you're toast. Can't, he's a guest. We can't get rid of a guest, you know. <laughs> Walk the plank. Thanks. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I did try to do some just real quick before we came up because I thought about it. Because I was really trying to see, is this a Pirates of the Caribbean based thing? Did Disneyland really create this? And then I did see something quickly on Urban Dictionary. And they did say it was something from the 17th or 18th centuries. But, you know, I just really couldn't verify. And I don't know if I can really trust Urban Dictionary to tell me, did Dead Men Tell No Tales? Is this something that was actually used at the time? Or was this really just a Disney creation? Because sometimes Disney Disney has this knack of creating things in that all of a sudden you think it's just been there forever. And I don't know. They just seem to be the pirate authorities all of a sudden <laughs> because of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's been there forever for you. Well, that's true. It has been there forever for me. <laughs> the Interceptor, when you when we first started the movie, you see the Interceptor. They see the pirate ship burning, and all the crew is lined up along the side of the boat. Yeah. You mean the, uh, you mean the Dauntless? The Dauntless? Oh, oh yeah, the Dauntless. I'm sorry. The Dauntless. Yeah. And all the crew is lined up. Well, you see that in this in this minute where all the crew is lined up on the side of the Interceptor. As they're going through that um, shipwreck co- or K. Shipwreck K. Yeah, that that is uh, that's not entirely how it would be done because if it was a very delicate sailing operation, they'd need all hands on the ropes, making minor adjustments, making sure that it didn't drift uh, to w- one direction uh, too far. Yeah, because how hard is it then to sail at that speed and make sure that you're avoiding all of that stuff? Yeah, they're they're sailing very slow, and uh, I hear wind whistling, which so it means they've got the the sails angled in such a way that they're purposefully moving slowly. Uh huh. And uh, it looks to me like most of the steering is being done with the wheel, which uh, I you know, I'm like I said, I'm not much of a sailor, but you could do that. But it also seems like you'd need hands on the ropes, keeping things so that the, you know, the wind didn't push it too far in one direction or the other. See, this is why we needed them. Exactly. Well, we don't know this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it does make for a great you know, shot. And, I, I'm all for um, letting go of accuracy in favor of good storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah, if you can have some of those liberties, yeah, as long as the story turns out good, that makes it okay. I thought it was kind of cool that they actually did it again. Oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great bookend. And so, actually, for those of you who have not yet joined our Cursed Listeners crew on Facebook group, Adam did post some recent photos of Disneyland attraction. So, I mean, that Pirates of the Caribbean. So, she's definitely head over there and join the crew. I definitely wanted to get that in since she did take some yeah. great shots. <laughs> I was a bit jealous. I'm sitting at work and Scott texts me, Adam just posted pictures from Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them are a little blurry, but that's because my, my phone does not do good pictures in low light generally. Yeah, the low light thing is a—it's yeah. always hard to do that for sure. But are, so, are you a purist actually when it comes to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride? Then, um, yes and no. Uh, yes, in that I love the, the the memories that I have from when I was a kid seeing everything, uh, and no, because I think the additions they have done are really are really well done. The you know the Jack Sparrow yeah. animatronic is phenomenal. The uh, the one that I'm not a big the the one change I'm not a big fan of is the uh, Davy Jones projection on the fake waterfall in the grotto. I'm trying to remember that one. Yeah, 
And then, uh, the, and as much as I like the Jack Sparrow animatronic, and I think it's great, I, I miss the the moral of the story as you go up the. Uh, yes. Where, you know the the story that, well, you know, pirate a pirate's life may seem glamorous. It always ends up at the end of a sword. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are obviously taking precaution then when you're out there then to make sure that you know, all is well for you guys. You know, you don't want kids or other people going too far, then you obviously take your swords with you, right? Make sure nobody else has swords with them. <laughs> that is correct. See, there you go. <laughs> Safeguarding yourselves. Anybody have anything else for the particular minute? Or uh, do we yeah, know actually, we're approaching? Got, oh, go for it. I've got some notes. Uh, I, I, Excellent. I love the music in this minute from the epic brass and strings at the beginning as you have the sweeping wide shot of the island. And oh, yeah. Great sort of creepy synthetic pan flute sound as they're drifting through the key. Yeah, that's why we always needed a music, somebody that knows music, because I'm not a music person. I like music, but I am not a music person. So trying to identify some of these sounds and things that we're hearing in it, there's really actually been a great kind of mesh that keeps some of it kind of in that spooky tone, and then it kind of has this nice climax and stuff. But yeah, we've, you know, trying to identify and talk about that without actually having to say a music background has been a little bit difficult for me to say the least and so yeah you definitely have some experience with music so it's good to be able to to talk about that and i think that hans zimmer actually when he was doing this this one when they're coming to the island uh, i'm trying to remember what the name of this particular one is i probably won't be able to remember that now that complete score for the movie but it's yeah i think they actually do a fairly good job with all the music here yeah definitely the music is one of the high points of the whole movie um the main themes are all wonderful i find myself humming the uh the he's a pirate theme all the time. That's right. <laughs> I think that's kind of a pop culture thing now. I think that people know that song. And I think they really identify that, okay, that's a Pirates of the Caribbean song. Well, they actually added uh, some of the music from Pirates of the Caribbean, the movie, to the ride. Uh, the banjo player near the beginning of the ride in between Camptown Races and Oh Suzanne, or whatever the other song he plays. Is he also plays uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean themes from the movie? Oh, get out of here! Oh, I didn't wow. know that. Yep, and it's it's the one. It's wow. And he plays it really slow, so you have to really pay uh-huh. attention to hear it. I think it's probably you know as a kid, I was always looking around at those fireflies and things when we're yeah. starting to go through there, and I never really ended up paying attention to the music as much. And yeah. now I need to really do that. And go back and, and listen to that stuff. Well, the, the ride has some masterful sound design. It starts off with just the you know the bayou sounds as you're going by the yeah. bayou restaurant, and uh, you know you hear you know crickets and and you know you hear like an alligator splashing into the water. And then as you go further, you pass the hut with the banjo player, and then you go from there to the uh, you know the skull on the flag over the first drop talking to you. That's right. It's, it's really good sound design. So as we all know, it's Friday, and that means, as dictated by the Pirate Code of Brethren, we need to share our favorite line from the last five episodes. And although we here are limited to the last five minutes, since we have a guest on today, Adam, I'm actually curious if you have a favorite line from the first, say, 66 minutes of the movie, or if you have one from the last five minutes, we could do that too, but I wasn't going to hold you down to just the last five minutes, but if you have a favorite line so far, that'd be great. I actually have a pair of lines. Nice. That I think really inform all you need to know about Jack Sparrow's character. The first is from uh, in the uh, in the jail in the uh, in the the fort on Port Royal. When uh, he says, "Worry about your own fortunes, gentlemen. The deepest circle of hell is reserved for betrayers and mutineers." 
Oh yeah. Which is shows he's he wants revenge over those that wronged him. Is that when he was was that when he was actually talking with the other prisoners? No, that's when he was Or is that the one he was Twig. talking with Twig and Keeler? Yeah, he was talking to Twig is that and the, Keeler. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And actually actually now that I remember that we did do a thing on the Night Circle of Hell and all that kind of yeah. stuff and and found that. But that yeah, that's a great one. And I and think then, that it does show what drives Jack throughout this whole movie actually. Yeah. Yeah, and then my other line is from a little bit earlier in the uh, sword fight between Will and Jack. Will says, you didn't beat me. You ignored the rules of engagement. In a fair fight, I'd have killed you. <laughs> Jack says, that's not much incentive to f- for me to fight fair then, is it? <laughs> I think those two lines give you everything you need to know about Jack Sparrow. Yeah. That is true. Well, and I think that's the eye opener for Will, too, about what he's dealing with as a pirate that, hey, you know, you're it's a whole different ball game when you're dealing with a pirate and, you know, he, he he can't just trust them. And so maybe he should have taken some of that to heart when actually making a deal with Jack and then going forward on this. And now I think that's probably what he's learning his lesson with when he asks Gibbs about the compass and then finding out about Jack Sparrow's background that he is once the captain of the Black Pearl. Heather, what do you have? I have, we're catching up. Ah, yes. Because <laughs> I just think it's it's just out of character from the way we've seen him so far. But I think that plays into just also what Adam was just saying Correct. too. It's just, yeah. it's almost like a tie-in to that. Yeah. He's approaching the object of his desire. He's getting more excited yeah. as he gets there. Yeah, because yeah, I think we were talking yesterday and that was the way in the inflections in his voice and how it kind of changed the way he normally talks when he was delivering that line. Yeah. I, for myself, for this particular one, I almost went with Dead Men Tell No Tales just because I, I don't know, I think it just says a lot. Maybe it's <laughs> like I always say my blackened heart. Yep. But I ended up choosing Mr. Cotton. Do you have the courage and fortitude to follow orders and stay true in the face of danger and almost certain death? And honestly, I'm not sure if I like the line as much as I like the reaction or maybe the lack of response from Cotton. <laughs> Or if it's just Jack showing off in front of Will, he's kind of taking that role of captain and maybe being forceful. But the one guy he chooses to do this, he you know he can't respond. He can't speak <laughs> back. And it's just like this failed drill sergeant thing that I think is happening as you know, he's walking the line there and looking at these pirates. And so it just sparks some great like comedy or nonverbal responses. And it's, uh, it's Jack posturing and hitting a brick wall while doing it. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it is. And he's it trying was to just, prove he's the fearless pirate captain. He's going to do it and nobody else, nobody can stop him. And then nothing. <laughs> that's yeah. Right. yeah. And then he decides, okay, well I can't make myself look bad because they did it. So he then asks the parrot, same question, parrot, you know? So it's like, he couldn't let it go. He had to make sure that he carried this through. I love his line reading, too, on Mr. Cotton's parrot. (laughs) (laughs) As if he can't believe he's even doing that. Yeah. (laughs) And then Will is sitting there, and Jack actually turns to him and says, are you satisfied? Like, I just got this great answer from the parrot. (laughs) And hey, what more do you need? The parrot has responded. It's Jack desperately trying to salvage any positive from that interaction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. Well, that's all I have, actually. What about is everybody it for else? Me? So, Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I'm happy to yes. join you. I had a great time. So, are you going to be able to hang around the weekend and perhaps pop back for Monday's episode? I mean, if you got a hammock and a, a tanker to grog, I will be happy to hang around for the weekend. 
Oh, hammock. I, Heather allows me to sleep in kind of a basement with some hay, <laughs> but I can definitely get you some grog. <laughs> hay and grog. That's about what we have. But hopefully you can, or I can probably round up a hammock. I mean, if you got a pigsty, I can be there too. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure that there's no buckets of water for sure. Remember, I'm so a act- who does bathe, so water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you want people to find more about the Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail or connect with you, where can they find you? Remind us about that. Oh, Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are Clan Darksail. On Facebook, it is RFP Clan Darksail for the Royal French Privateers. And then the website is clandarksail.com. Uh, we are, once again, Pirates for Hire. We do everything rated G to R. Ah! <laughs> I think we that's the best tagline blue. ever. <laughs> I don't think that's actually our tagline. I just made it up. It is. It, it sounds great. It. Oh, man. <laughs> well, it sounds perfect. It sounds like it's been there forever. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah you're also the pirate star that came up with Twitter. So oh, I cannot claim credit for that. That comes from uh, the nerd gathering known as the Joko Cruise. Ah, there we go. But uh, it, it's 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 very pirate oriented as well. <laughs> so everyone, thanks for joining us today, and we'll be back on Monday with minute sixty-seven of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Now, get me my grog. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern. Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up. The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags. While Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.